All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started with uh, this episode, Greg and I have a special announcement for you. Um, we're going to be um, having Tim Challies on, uh, so you'll get to hear him in just a couple minutes here. But um, we wanted to let you know that we have um, some of his books available um, to you at no cost to you. We would ask, however, that um, if you have the opportunity to go on Facebook, um, and like us. So if you haven't done that before, go ahead and do that. The first three likes will get an opportunity to pick up one of his three books. Um, so what you'll do is you'll like us, then you'll email us. The email is these go to 11 and the number 15 at gmail.com. These go to 11 and the number 15 at gmail.com. Um, just tell us you liked us. Uh, let us know your name and address so that we can mail those out to you. And then we have three more that we're going to give to the first um, three new iTunes reviews that we get. Um, so what you'll do is you'll go into iTunes, you'll write a little review. It could be good. It could be bad. doesn't matter. We just want the review. Um, <laughs> I'd like to nuance that. It has to be good. It has to be five star. Um, and actually, Nathan, in terms of likes... Is this fair? What if they only, I'll be arbitrary, say like me? Can they just like me? Can they do a half like? They, on they, they could do that. So, you okay, know, good. a half like will you do work. a half like, just contact uh, Zuckerberg or whoever you need to. to That's right. You know, get that, uh, get that straightened out. But I will say, Nathan, I'm glad that we're mentioning this because we, we don't, this is our 15th yeah. podcast. Yeah, 15. So we haven't said too much about that. That's not what we want to be about. It does help, believe it or not, to get the word out to do those Facebook likes and the iTunes reviews. Because when somebody's going to iTunes and they're searching, hey, Christian conversation, theology, culture, podcast, the more reviews that are generated, the more stars, the easier it is to find. Yep. And we, you know, that's that's why we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. So um, again, like us on Facebook um, and then email us uh, that you liked us with your, um, and, and we will be able to check to make sure you actually did like us. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, email us, these go to 11, then the number 15 at gmail.com. Um, and then again, iTunes, the first three to write a review, email us, these go to 11, the number 15 at gmail.com. Um, and then let us know what your um, name on iTunes is so that we know that you are that person. Again, name and address, uh, and we will mail one of three books out to you. Greg, what are the those sure. three books? Real yeah, quick. Uh, Tim's written three books. They're all fantastic. Tim, is Tim, as you'll hear in this podcast, is one of the most balanced, careful biblical thinkers that I've ever read. Really is just a brilliant dude. Uh, humble, very Christ-centered guy. First book he wrote was called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. I think that came out in 07. It used to be mm -hmm. on our bookcase yep. for a while, yep. uh, uh, several years back here. And if you're just looking for a book on how do I grow in being more scripturally, biblically discerning, not just know more about the Bible, but how to apply the Bible to how I think about anything, entertainment, politics, uh, my marriage, my personal life. That's That's a really, really good book. Uh, the Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. The second book he wrote shortly after is, uh, I believe it's called Sexual Detox, mm -hmm. which Tim's going to talk about a lot on this podcast related to pornography. Now, it's primarily men and, porno men and pornography. On this podcast, he's going to talk about women as well. Yep. Uh, but this one is a, is a great book. Uh, it's sort of a survival guide on battling pornography, learning about it, helping people that are going through it and really want to uh, wrestle against it and fight back. Uh, that is his second book. His third book is really interesting. Tim's other sort of field of expertise is technology. Yep. 
huge technology guy, knows computers, the internet, uh, social media extremely well. Uh, he has a vested interest in it. So he wrote a book in 2011 called The Next Story, and I think it's subtitled something like Faith After the Digital Explosion. Yeah. Uh, another great book uh, that, you know, very different topics there. So we're uh, happy to give away six books. So if six people say, hey, you know, I went on Facebook, I liked it, I went on iTunes, uh, wrote a review, and they all want the discernment book, those are the ones we'll send out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you can just tell us which book you're interested in of those three, Discernment, Sexual Detox, or The Next Story. Yep. No, that's great. Um, and so we're going to go ahead um, and just get you started on the podcast. Real quick, though, we also want to let you know we are doing a double podcast this week, um, but the next one is going to be released on Friday. Um, so stay tuned on Friday for another podcast, another special guest. Um, so stay tuned for that one, and we'll actually have uh, some other giveaways to do then as well. So hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Uh, once again, Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello. And we also have a special guest, Tim Challies. Tim, say hi to everyone out there. Hi, everybody out there. Tim, um, you are a very prolific blog writer, um, and you've also recently uh, become pastor of a, of a church up there in Canada, correct? That is true, yeah. All right. Um, if you could just uh, take a few minutes, we just want to get to know you a little bit, um, let people out in the audience who don't know you get to know you a little bit. So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, friends, family, how you got connected into the church that you're in now, just some different sure. things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been married for the last 17 years to my wife, Aileen. We've got three kids who are currently 9, 12, and 15. Uh, I'm a member of Grace Fellowship Church. We've been there for about nine years now, and it must have been just about five years ago now that the uh, pastors at the church asked if I would be interested in uh, being an elder at the church. They and the congregation put me through a uh, an assessment process, an evaluation process, and at the end ordained me into the ministry. And then shortly thereafter, we planted a church, which involved taking our associate pastor and a bunch of our members and sending them off to start a new church. And then at around that point, uh, the church asked if I would come into a paid pastoral position and uh, do that full time. So I've been doing that as an assistant or associate kind of pastor for the last uh, four years or so now, I guess. Oh, very cool. Um, one of the, again, one of the big things that you are known for is uh, blogging. And I think I remember um, on your bio, you've been, was it 2002 or 2003 that you, you started blogging? I think it was 2002 I began. Okay, so even even before um, blogging blew up, you had you had kind of started in and, and have been doing it for a while. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I guess it was around the end of 2001 that um, I decided to get the chalice.com domain name, and I did that because my family had moved to the south. They live down in uh, Tennessee now, and I wanted to share some pictures of my kids with them, and um, so I got the family name, started a little website for the, the benefit of the family. And uh, over the, the next few months, started writing the occasional article I thought would interest them. And then I guess Google did its thing and started picking up those articles. I don't know. Was, even, was Google even around back then? Yeah, I'm not even sure. I, you know, when you said <laughs> Yahoo that, was, or something. Yeah, it was probably Yahoo back yeah. then. I mean, yeah. wow. Well, Tim, <laughs> and I have to say, I was telling Nathan beforehand, I, uh, you know, I've taken 
seven or eight stabs at blogging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In fact, this podcast initially, uh, Nathan and I were meeting all last year, uh, was going to be sort of the uh, ninth and final attempt, you know, sort of the the cat with nine lives thing. And, um, you know, it's so, I mean, like you, I I have so much interest in theology and uh, cultural trends, analysis of things going on in the world and the church. Love that stuff. Uh, I will say, and I'm not trying to butter you up, but just the fact that the grind of blogging, wow. And yeah. I mean, Tim, have you missed a day, a chunk of time in the last 13 years or however long it's been? <laughs> uh, no, actually I haven't. I've been doing it on a daily basis for, I guess it's about 11 and a half years now. So there's been something new every day in all that time. And a lot of that is just my personality. I know that once I stop, it'll get easier and easier to stop the next time. Yeah. And uh, so I just keep going. I just keep doing it. So uh, I enjoy doing it most days. You know, there's the occasional day. It seems like the hardest thing in the world to do. But generally, I, I really enjoy it. I look forward to it each day, just grabbing a cup of coffee and getting my keyboard and just seeing what happens. Wow. Well, you know, we know you're a, a Blue Jays fan, Tim, and we were talking about that just before we went on today. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we we love you. We forgive you for that. It's uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, it's it's fine. But you you should be an Orioles man because you are the Iron Man. You are the Ripken <laughs> of blogging. You know, I mean, just the consecutive streak you have put together. I don't know if anybody has surpassed. Um, so yeah, that is just crazy. I think everybody that wants to start a blog. Uh, looks to you. I certainly did. Man, I love what Tim does. It's so uh, stuff. Plus, in every day now, Tim, you still have the uh, what you call the a la carte feature, right? Tell us, tell yes. us about that. Sure. So there's generally two different kinds of bloggers. There's blog curators and blog creators. So some people create content i.e. they do the writing, they come up with the ideas, and then there's curators, people who collect those ideas. And it must have been, I don't even know, seven or eight years ago now. I, all along I've been doing the creation, just writing articles, and I began to realize that there's a lot of value in just collecting information as well. So I decided to explore both sides. So I came up with a little feature I called a la carte, in which I would just collect a few links from around the web every day. And I started throwing those out there, and people really appreciated that. And uh, I think as many people come to my site just to click those links, so not actually to read anything I say, but just to find some interesting things to read. I think as many people come for that as they do to read whatever I've actually written. Yeah, yeah. And and in uh, in that light, Tim, what would you say? I, I it's been a while since I've tracked it, but I know at some point you've you know you're able to see the hits you get on different articles you write and that sort of thing. Is is your critique of the shack in your in your top five? Uh, most downloaded article, or I'm just just curious. Yeah, yeah. The the critique of the shack is definitely right up there. It's one of the more popular things I've written. That and uh, some of the the heaven tourism books that I critiqued are right yes. up there as well. Um, and then an article I wrote on sleepovers, why my family does not do sleepovers, is actually the most read article that I've ever written. Interesting, huh? Yeah, why we don't do sleepovers. That's what it's called, and. Yeah, it's by far, far and away uh, the most popular thing. I think it's been read maybe a couple, maybe over two million times now. Oh wow! Wow, I'm embarrassed to say, Tim, that's not what <laughs> I read. <laughs> and Nathan, remind me not to tell that uh, right. Tim that 
my daughter just did a sleepover. Uh, <laughs> I, honestly, Tim, she did. Uh, this was, uh, yeah, well, she's 16, so they don't really call it sleepovers anymore. Uh, no, I don't think it's 16. I'm not judging. No, 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 no. <laughs> no bro, that is so Hey, honestly, that wasn't part of our plan, but can, can you give us a little teaser on that? Yeah, I just, my, my wife and I decided way back when our kids were young that we would not do sleepovers, i.e. we would not allow our kids to go to other people's homes and sleep over there. Um, we did that because, largely because of experiences when we were kids, not that any of us suffered that, but we just knew people who had had bad experiences there. Sure. I knew a man who served as chief of police, and he said he would never allow his kids to do sleepovers. And so my wife and I, from the get-go, decided if we just say no to sleepovers, that means we don't have to say yes to this family and no to that family. It just takes away, it takes it right off the table. Yes. So I just wrote about some of those things. Um, and man, I tell you, it's been really helpful to not have to go to that family and say, yeah, I know we let her sleep over at their house, but we're not letting her sleep over at your house because of whatever the reason is. And obviously there's some, some families you'd be very comfortable having your children there. Some families you'd be very uncomfortable. We just took it off the table altogether. And so that, that article appealed to a certain crowd out there and just, it's something everybody fears, right? Their child being harmed. So I, I had no expectation that the article would be read that many times. I really found it interesting that it, it was read that many wow. times. I am on my iPhone, Tim, right now. <laughs> marking that article. You, know, you, you, you can tell what good researchers we are. I know. Uh, that we, <laughs> this is real time. Real time. Uh, no, that is that is neat. You know, and I can tell, Tim, you're in pastoral ministry because have you found I love, I, I, well, yeah, I can say this. I've already begun. I love policy when, when it is beneficial. In other words, sometimes if uh, my elder team, you know, we – we talk about something, we think, how can we wisely set a policy so that we, not that we're hiding behind it, obviously, hopefully we set policies we believe in that mm-hmm. reflect our values, reflect the vision and direction you know, of the church, distinctives, all that. But when a person comes to be able to say, you know, that's, that's, that's the policy that we have. The, the person right. isn't being rejected on their unique grounds. So you, you've basically right. taken that and applied it as a Chally's family dynamic. <laughs> exactly. And I think every family has their own policies, has their own things, just like every church. We all have our own flavor, right? Every family has its unique flavor. Every church has its unique flavor. And a lot of those are just the decisions you make along the way. And, of course, every policy needs to be revisited occasionally, right? And so we do that on occasion and say, no, we're still comfortable just staying right where we are. And it's very much the same in our church. Here's our policy about members' meetings or about whatever. We had it for a reason, but occasionally we need to revisit it because it's not chapter and verse, right? Sure. It's just our understanding, our interpretation at one point in time. Yeah, and Tim, you're a fan. I, I This is going way back, but I thought I read a review that you did years ago. Did you write a review on the trellis and the vine? I did, yeah. Yeah, and that that's a book I remember you liking. I hope I've got that right. Yeah, I really like that book. We, as a church, have found it very helpful to just think in those categories of trellis, the ministries of the church that support the church, and then the vine, the people that we're responsible to care for and tend Yes, yes. I had never read that until recently. Our uh, executive pastor, Mark Sweeney, uh, has been on board with us for about a year and a half. I mean, we call that his second Bible uh, <laughs> right. because he uh, he will often reference you know the trellis and the vine. And I think it's such a great balance. On you know, Mark is a big believer that you know policy exists for people. We we never want to you know promote policy over people, but use policy right. to help serve people and maximize 
our impact as a church, our resources, etc. And I, I, I remember you liking that book. I thought, and right. um, you know, that should have made me want to read it. But yeah, I finally got around <laughs> to it. Finally, yeah. No, it's a very good one and covers territory that no one else has quite covered. So if you're reading Nine Marks or something by Mark Dever, very helpful stuff. But the Travels and Vine is just an area where I don't think too many people are thinking well. And so it's it's just very helpful in that regard. Yes, yes. And Tim, at your church, uh, am I right on this? You're you're sort of the adult discipleship guy. Is that the right category? Yeah, I, I do some of that. Lately, it's been a little bit more administrative in a lot of the work I do, which has been an interesting, just where the church is at right now. We're sort of in a a consolidation phase as a church, I think. We had a big burst of growth, and so I was dedicating a lot of time to that. Mm -hmm. Now it's uh, kind of maturing that growth, and we hope preparing our church for the future in terms of planting again. And so a lot of it has been administrative, growing up structures and some of that trellis work a little bit less on the vine work for a time interesting so you're you're doing some executive pastor work the way i would think of it uh yeah some of that stuff yeah and some of the other as well but it's certainly a mix of them and i guess my unique skills in our team function a little bit more to getting things done keeping things moving keeping ministries moving along putting structures in place policies all of those sorts of things. Recently just put together an abuse prevention policy, just something our church had needed for a time, but now something I had to write up and implement with our child care ministries and so on. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how it works, Tim, in Canada. By the way, we're 12 minutes and 19 seconds in, and I haven't made one Canadian joke yet. (laughs) That Um, is true. Yeah, so neither we need to... We I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to we, correct we, that. We can man. put that in editing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're not here any longer, Tim, I hope you don't mind if we rearrange some of your sound bites. Um, yeah, no problem. But the uh, in terms of childcare up there in Canada and how that uh, impacts churches, uh, does the um, does the law require you to have workers fingerprinted? Uh, it does not. No. Okay. Okay. Because that that's something we too are working through right now, and it's always a. Okay. You know, it's always a, a fine line because we, again, we hope that people understand as we move towards that, that we're doing this yeah. to best serve families, um, you know, and, and protect everyone involved. It's always strange to ask a person that's volunteering their time for free, hey, we need to do yeah. a criminal background check. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, these, these are things the church has to deal with today, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the only time I've ever been fingerprinted was trying to get into America, I'll have you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and Tim, you still got in. I got in. Good. Yeah, they let me through. <laughs> no, I had to leave the prints behind somewhere. They're on file somewhere out there in the NSA or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in our church, we definitely we, we don't need anything. And yet, um, in terms of making parents comfortable and protecting, we don't want to only protect children. That's important. But also to protect adults who are working with children, right? To protect them against false charges, um, those sorts of things. And, and then, of course, we have insurance that we have to... Um, to um, live up to their policies. Sure. And so in all these things, this is why we've got policies in place and are doing criminal background checks. They just don't involve fingerprints. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, one of the things that we're going to do to uh, segue in, because you, you blog so much, one of your big blogging topics um, has been about pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we just want to get um, some of your thoughts on that. I, you know, I've had a... Um, big issue with this throughout my life, um, struggling with pornography. Um, I've talked with Greg about it. It's interesting talking with you about it since I've never met you. So, uh, this is kind of a weird (laughs) dynamic, but, um, 
you know, that's been something uh, that has um, kind of, you know, ongoing struggle uh, for me personally. Um, being in this pastoral role that you're in now, um, how do you deal with people who come to you um, struggling with pornography? You, you've written a lot about it. You've blogged a lot about it. How do you counsel people on it face-to-face? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it depends a little bit on the person. Some people come feeling very guilty and feeling very dirty because mm-hmm. of it. Other people come feeling just pretty okay about it. And so there's such a difference between people who have really been convicted by their sin versus people who, you know, they know it's wrong or they've been told it's wrong, but they're not really feeling it. And that's true of any sin, right? Yeah. You'll have people coming with substance abuse problems. Now, you, you, you very quickly know who's there just as a sort of confessional, hoping they'll feel better by confessing their sin versus people who really want to do battle with sin. And so I really try to push people, are you really repentant? Are you really willing to do battle with this? And one of the first things I want from them is what kind of radical actions are you willing to take to put this sin to death? Uh, The guy who brings his computer and leaves it in my office all week and just checks email on Sunday, I take it that he's a guy who's really willing to do battle with sin. The guy who doesn't want to change any of his habits, doesn't want to change any of his patterns in life, he's not serious yet. He's not really been broken by his sin. Wow, Tim. That uh, has been coming up in some uh, talks we've been having here at our church and uh, just you know various contexts that I'm in. Uh, Just made the point recently, going through 1 Peter, uh, curious to get your thoughts on this. I, I have found that you know we have all these euphemisms, and one of those is struggle. Uh, yeah. It's so common for people to say, yeah, I'm struggling with this, and I'll, I'll try to get them to really unpack what that means. So, okay, I'm struggling with lust. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'll say, okay, so what, are, are you reading verses on a regular basis on lust and purity and God's grace and strength to you? Uh, well, no, not really. Or is, is there somebody in your life that you're talking to on, on a pretty regular basis about this that you trust, you know, that loves you, but is in the fight with you as skin in the game? No. And eventually yeah. help that person say, so it sounds like you're not struggling. It sounds like you're <laughs> sinning. <laughs> you know, which, right. But it's interesting how that term, uh, and I, I'm imagining you encounter that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are, well, there's different struggles, right? There's the struggle of guilt. There's the struggle of just knowing that it's wrong. And then there's the real struggle where you're, the, the struggle where you're really genuinely trying and the world, the flesh, the devil are hard up against you and pushing you hard. And, and so very quickly, again, I, I think it's pretty easy to identify the people who really want to do battle with sin, the people who are really truly remorseful for their sin. And I look for those guys because I can't, if, if you've got enough people around you, you, you can't spend as much time on the people who just aren't serious about it. Uh, But there are some, and you can see the change in their life. You can see them really battling hard, not just to put off sin, but to put on holiness. They're the ones who have that view of God, and they want to honor God. They're not just remorseful for sin. They're desirous for holiness. Right, right. Now, And and when you have people, Tim, sort of in the other camp that come, do do you sense that they're looking— Maybe this is too strong to say a loophole, but are, are they are they looking for uh, sort of the what I consider the the bartender? Hey, man, you know life. Yeah, life is tough. We, we, you know, we've all been there. Um, yeah. And and when you find that person, 
Can I put you on the set? What do you do? I mean, do you yeah. ever turn sort of hostile? I think of the courtroom drama, you know, where the lawyer <laughs> says, you know, Your Honor, permission to treat the witness as hostile. And, and they, yeah, yeah. they dig in. Or do you just sort of do an internal check? Like, you know, I can tell this guy isn't at a place where he's yeah. really serious about this. Yeah, I have. I think sometimes you got to be, uh, well, good cop, bad cop, right? Yeah. And uh, some guys, and sometimes every guy needs someone just to put their arm around his shoulder and say, come on, let's do this. I just want to call you to something here. I want to work with you. I'm here for you. And then sometimes he just needs the equivalent of a good swift kick in the rear end. <laughs> yeah. And I've just found that guys respond differently to both. So sometimes I'll just full out rebuke a guy for his sin. And people take that well often. I mean, guys who truly want to fight sin, they see that. I try and bring the gravity of Scripture against them. You know, First Thessalonians 4 the will of God is your purity. Abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, we've solemnly warned you. <laughs> Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Like, these are serious warnings from the Bible. When you sin, you are disregarding the Holy Spirit within you who's telling you not to. And so, I try and bring some of the weight of that as well. Yeah, but then yeah. To, to balance that with some of the comfort and to always go back to the gospel, right? Yeah. This sin isn't beyond Christ's ability to forgive. He wants you. He he wants you to um, be holy. He's there with you. He's he's given you everything you need. You're only sinning because you're choosing not to take hold of what he's given you. So yeah, yeah. there's always that that balance. Yeah, I, I loved him how you said um, that you'll a guy will leave his his laptop with you. I mean that I've always been yeah. a bit puzzled by that. Uh, when when people and I've talked to guys too, and they'll say, "Well, uh, my wife uses the computer and, and that yeah. sort of thing," and I say, "Okay," and I, you know, and I don't want to get legalistic about this because there can be safeguards, and I know there's programs. It, is Covenant yeah. Eyes still in existence? By the way, I remember that was a. Uh, it is a big. It is, one. and it's a good piece of software. We've got it on every computer in our home. <laughs> yes, no, no, that's great. That's <laughs> yep. great. You know, that just sort yep. of adds that extra layer. And there's there's different ways right. that this can be done. But I have told guys before in the past that I guarantee you, your wife that knows of this battle, knows of this struggle, it will mean much to her. And I know of one wife, uh, this is at my former church, who was uh, checking her email at the public library. Um, right. And her battle was not to be bitter at her husband, you know, because <laughs> yeah. obviously, oh, it's, you know, three o'clock in the morning and I'm up. I'd love to just check really quick if I got this email. And of course, they can't do that in their particular situation. But yep. that wife that I'm thinking of was so encouraged because her husband was was really going all out in this battle. Um, yeah. And, and, and part of it, Tim, I know technology, of course, is, is sort of uh, another uh, area of expertise for you. And that was mm -hmm. your most recent book, right? The, the Next Door. Yeah. And yeah. Um, have you ever heard John Piper say this? I, I feel like I've heard him say this, that prior to his wedding date, I think he had seen two pornographic images in his lifetime. Yeah, I think he said that. And, yeah. you, you know. And they're seared into his memory. Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. Exactly. Right. And, you know, Piper would say seared uh, yeah. with, with such, you know, rigor. But the, uh, I remember when I heard him say that, and I've heard guys say that, my, my jaw just hits the floor because yeah. how many guys tragically and sadly uh, have seen thousands and thousands of images, yeah, yeah, digital images from the time they were 10, perhaps. And right. I'm just, you know, technology, pornography, your thoughts on, on sorting yeah. through some of that. 
Well, let me back up one step to, uh, you said guys who aren't willing to leave their computers behind or whatever, and that's just the insanity of sin, that we think we can establish these patterns in our life, and the only part that's actually sinful is the final step, and so that's the only thing we want to get rid of. Ergo, I want to be able to keep all my patterns of being lazy and lying around my bedroom at night and mindlessly going through pictures of girls on Facebook. And somehow I want to be able to stop there and not continue down the road into pornography. No, you can't do that. You've got to break the pattern way where it begins because that, when you're lazy, when you go into your bedroom late at night by yourself, your heart has already decided you'll be looking at pornography. So yeah. you can't you can't go nine steps and then act surprised when step ten is you actually start looking at it. Yeah. And so by leaving your computer in the pastor's office or whatever it is, whatever radical action you're willing to take, Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, you cut it off, right? right. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Well, if your computer causes you to sin, for goodness sake, get rid of your computer. Is it? Would you rather go to hell with a computer or? Live holy without one, right? It's the, the math of it is just so simple. Just get rid of those things right, that are leading yeah. you to sin again and again and again. Right. But people, so many people just will not do that. As for technology, one of the just most amazing things that happened through technology, one of the most incredible things is we've gone from pornography scarcity to pornography abundance, right? Where it's just ushered in this absolute glut of pornography. So for all the good that's come through technology, we've got more pornography than ever before. It's so accessible. And the ability to find pornography has far eclipsed the ability to block that pornography or deal with that pornography. And so guys are getting into it young, girls are getting into it young, and we just don't have the tools, the training, any of this stuff to keep our kids away from it. Tim, let me let me ask you a question because I um I taught school for a number of years and one of the things that um I had heard growing up when I was in high school was, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is a guy's problem. This is what guys deal with. But one of the things that I noticed, you mentioned girls. Um, this yep. is this is becoming an increasing trend among young girls, among teenage girls. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit in your experience? Sure. Like sure. that that equation. How have you seen that change over the years? Yeah. Yeah, well, certainly I know that pornography has taken off amongst young women. It's become more and more popular. And there's the visual pornography, the equivalent of what guys are looking at. I know that there's also a lot more story-based pornography being created. And so guys are just content to see the action. Women typically may want a little more story. So the the, uh, places that produce pornography are trying to produce more story-based porn that would appeal there. But then what is the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, phenomenon, sure. but yeah. just literary. If, I don't think you can call Fifty Shades of Grey literature from what I hear, but <laughs> it's just written pornography that yeah. is doing the same thing, appealing to that sense of fantasy. And really when it comes right down to it, the irony is that when men look at pornography, they want to see women who are acting like men. And when women read pornography, they want to hear about men who are acting like women, right? Men who have all the emotions of women, men who will behave like women. And so there's something just so sick about it. There's something so, just so deviant about it that we're creating God's good gift of gender, binary gender. We're trying to blur that and make everyone to be just like ourselves. Yeah, that is a a great observation, Tim, on the uh, men wanting women to act like men. 
Uh, it, yeah, because we actually, our second podcast, uh, we talked about that very issue, Fifty yeah. Shades mm-hmm. of Grey. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I know this this is the type of thing that drives you nuts from having read you for years, Tim, but our guest, Matt Smith, who was a uh, pastor that was with us on that podcast, said mm-hmm. just that day he had driven by a church, it, not in this area, so we're not, we don't even know who it was, <laughs> he didn't tell us, we're not going after one church, but he said he saw a church sign that was promoting a new ser- sermon series called Fifty Shades of Grace. So oh, gross. Uh, I, I, I'm sure, Tim, that you guys are going to start doing that right up in, uh, you know, Grace Fellowship. That's going to be a um, sermon series. Tongue in cheek yeah, sorry, there, obviously. I just, I just threw up in my mouth <laughs> a little bit. Please forgive no, me. Oh, my goodness. It was, uh, yeah, that was a, a real shocker when he uh, uh, dropped that on us. But, yeah, that's, yep. that's new for me, Tim. I would say I did not really learn of this. It's almost embarrassing to admit I'm 44 years old been a pastor for almost 20 years, and it's only in the last few years, and I'm so glad you asked that, Nathan, that I realized that women struggle with this. I had a very mm-hmm. naive view of pornography, uh, just that yet yeah, something some guys wrestle with, it's, it's a battle, it's their upbringing, what they were exposed to, uh, habits they've fallen into, and women have other struggles. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know, here we are, three men, talking about this subject uh every so often when i have a woman even come near it you know i try to find the most delicate way if she's talking to me about that to yeah. say something oh now do you have a godly woman in your life that right. you can share these things with <laughs> you know because i think obviously we don't want that conversation to go far right. but pastorally right. i want to see that woman get help um, mm-hmm. and i've talked to women that are divorced that are single that are going through some sort of estrangement with a husband that may or may not be returning. Um, and I'm just curious, Tim, your thoughts on how the church, which is typically, right, complementarian uh, in our yep. circles, led by men, mm-hmm. how do we serve women in that regard? Yeah, I think as a pastor, you've got to, you know, in your sermon examples, in your um, application sections, you can't assume that it's only men who are struggling sexually, right? Yeah. Um, you can assume that women in your church, and particularly young women who have grown up around the internet, that they're struggling as well, or a good number of them. I think statistically, maybe one third of women are looking at, of young women are looking at pornography at least once a month or something. So it's, it's enough that it's a very substantial issue, enough that as a pastor, you can speak to that. And then equipping some of the women in your church who can speak to it, and maybe in women's groups, having some of those women speak up, or um, a woman who struggled with it, just open up that conversation. It's, it's the exact same thing that happened with men, right? After a while, men started to speak up about pornography, and then other men came along and said, okay, me too, thank you, I'm not alone in this. And yes. men formed their accountability groups, and men got help, and now there's lots of books being written, and all of this, it's great. Women, it's lagging way behind, yeah. but people are wise to it now. We're starting to get some good resources, some good books, and uh, I think if we have women in our churches who are attuned to that, and um, you know, I know my own wife has several people who have come up to her and just said, can you help me with this one? And now she's sort of, people know that she's one they can go to, and she'll help talk them through it and, and work with them. And it's been a real, I think, a real blessing in their lives that there's an older woman who can say, okay, let's work this through. Let's go to God's Word together. Let's see what God says about this. Wow, that's great, Tim. Now, now let me ask you, um, Tim. Do do you find that it is um, 
more entrenched in men than women, like in terms of the counseling process and helping them break free of this? Is it easier with women or more difficult or do you find the same? What's your experience with that? I'm not sure that I can speak to it. I haven't worked closely with women in the issues. So uh, I know people who have, but I haven't, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know that I can answer that question clearly. I know for men, it's certainly very, very difficult. And my sense would be, it would be more the how deeply entrenched you are mm, in yeah. that, how often that pattern has been uh, just seared into your brain and into your, into your life over the years. Yeah. Now, but you said that there was a difference where um, with women, it tended to be more uh, emotional, story-based, correct? Where with guys, it, it did tend to be more of the physical outlook on things. Is that right? I think so. That's certainly what I've read. And I know Covenant Eyes has done some. They've got a great blog, by the way, well worth reading. Uh, I know they've done some work on this and others. So it seems that there's, I mean, we know that God has made men and women to be different. Yeah. And uh, that's certainly one of the ways in which he has made them to be different. Sure, sure. Too. And it seems to me that some of these things have been around longer. Like I, I thought of this recently, those old, I think they were called the Harlequin romance novels. Yeah. Right, um, right. I, I did not read those. I, I would like to <laughs> go on record there, lest my elders call yep. an emergency meeting or something. But I, um, I, you know, those things have been around forever. And right. in many ways, we're, we're sort of a pre-digital version of these sort of fantasy getaways right. Um, about a, a, you're right, a more sensitive man, a more dashing romantic man, uh, you know, the, the kind of, of man a, a woman, a certain woman would, would like to have. Um, right. That it does seem to be a little more story-oriented. Yeah. story oriented. I've, I've noticed yeah. that as well. And from all I've read, um, Fifty Shades of Grey and the book Twilight are essentially the same book. Yeah, right. Um, in yeah. fact, Fifty Shades of Grey began as Twilight fan fiction. It was fan fiction, so, right. yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and so they deal with a very similar uh, a man who's really very sensitive but damaged, and the woman gets to help him and and lead him through his problems, and just you know you can see where there's there's some some grain of truth in there. You know, there's something God's made people in a certain way, so a woman would want to help. She would want to be that that person in a man's life, and yet you can see how it's been twisted and perverted as well. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for, uh, you know, just talking to us about that. Um, we, we do want to be mindful and uh, respectful of your time. So we want to um, uh, move into um, our next topic. But um, as sure. you said, there, there are just some great resources. So anyone who's, you know, really struggling with this, really, you know, battling this, maybe you're not, maybe you've just, you know, given up men or women, you know, um, mm-hmm. please, you know, get the resources, get the help. You're not alone in this. Um, so the, the next thing we actually want to talk to you about for a little bit is just um, the, the reformed arena. And I'm going to sure. um, actually turn this over to Greg a little bit um, because he has more, some more specific questions that he wants to talk to you about and just kind of get a sense of where things are going and, and where they've been and, and things like that. So Greg, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tim. Uh, okay, just tell us everything about the reformed arena. No, you don't have to. Do that. Sure, I'll do that. Do that in four and a half minutes. Uh, I uh, no, obviously, Tim. You, you. I always mention you when I mention you uh, uh, talking to people. If I'm ever in a message or I'm talking at a men's retreat or something, I'll say, "Hey, check out Chalice.com." I always say he's the dude with the finger on the pulse of sort of what's <laughs> happening in the larger Reformed evangelical community. And I know 
you probably love having that just thrown upon you all the time as the, uh, you know, the great prophet. And I, I, I know you would be the first to say, hey, hey, I'm just one observer of many and, and certainly know all that. But because, sure. Tim, you have been at it so long, I, I feel like you keep your eye literally daily on the ball, the trends. Uh, wh- I'm just curious, what are you seeing right now, what we would sort of call, you know, whatever the right term is, reformed, gospel-centered, you know, anything basically tied into T4G, Gospel Coalition, uh, Christianity that, um, yeah. I don't know, maybe some, some things you see that you, you are very positive, some things you see that there could be a trajectory there that isn't so positive. I'm, I'm curious, what does Tim Challey see right now in that <laughs> arena? Well, it's interesting. Earlier this year, I was at um, the Ligonier Ministries National Conference. Of course, Ligonier has been around for a long, long time. And then a few weeks later, I was at the Shepherds Conference with yes. uh, John MacArthur's conference. And so, uh, going to those conferences was very, very helpful to me. It's not that I hadn't been at those events before, but somehow just looking at those events and thinking, you know, it's easy to get excited about Together for the Gospel and Gospel Coalition because they're new. Yeah. But we can't forget that these other ministries have been carrying the torch for a long, long time. They were reformed. They were gospel-centered. They were whatever you want to call it. They were doing that a long, long time ago, way before it was cool, when when everybody was turning away from the reformed faith, whatever, when people were saying you've got to be into church growth or all these different things, those ministries and others like them were doing that heavy lifting. So uh, it was just such an encouragement for me to be reminded that there have been people doing this for many years and that these new things are new, but there's others who have been doing it for a long, long time now. Uh, you know, Tim, absolutely. I, uh, you know, in your, your publisher that you're part of Cruciform was kind enough, crazy enough to publish uh, my, my book on Calvinism. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned in there that R.C. Sproul uh, was my dude. I mean, I, um, I didn't know anything about reform theology, knew nothing about it at all. And I was listening to John MacArthur uh, on our local Christian radio here. Loved him because he was the first expositor I had ever heard that actually, wow, he was like in First Peter 3, 1 last week, First Peter 3, 2 this week. I didn't even know people did that. <laughs> right. And I m- remember he mentioned something about election or predestination. I was like, whoa, what, what is that? What is he talking about? You know, and, and I got a little confused, a little intrigued. I was at college at that time, met some friends through IV and Campus Crusade. <laughs> That put me on to R.C. Sproul, Red Chosen by God. And at that time, this is uh, late 80s, early 90s, there, there wasn't much that I could find on a popular level that would explain these sort of, you know, sort of deep God-centered truths in an understandable way. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. That, that is neat to see those ministries uh, still doing their thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, in all that's going on, I just want to make sure we don't lose focus on that. And um, I, I fear we would dishonor some of those ministries and uh, the men behind them just by very quickly shifting to what's new. And in our church, the pastors just started preaching through Proverbs. And if you learn anything at all through Proverbs, you better learn that there's something to be said for age and something to be very careful when it comes to youth. Well, this young, restless, reformed, whatever it is, it's a young movement. And I yes. think we do very, very well to, to keep our eye on some of the, the older people, the older ministries, those who have been doing it for a long time. I think we have a lot to learn from them. And it would be to our shame and folly if we were to just assume we don't need them or that they're washed up or whatever the case may be. 
Yes, yes. And I, I know, Tim, you've commented this on your blog before in, in some measure or another, but it is neat, I think you've mentioned this, to see some of the older guard, you know, I don't know, sort of your, your Pipers with your Chandlers, uh, you know, your, yeah. uh, uh, your John MacArthur's with your... Um, Boy, I can't think of anybody. Uh, you're, you're youngins. Um, you know, it's it's neat to see that. I've I've enjoyed seeing that myself because um, I think there is a there's there's not just something happening there for the benefit of the movement, but there's a modeling feature too, for, right? For people to see. You know, it's probably wise that I get some of these older guys that have been at this a lot longer before it was even cool, uh, just to learn some lessons. And I, I it's been blogged to death, Tim, and I'm sure talked about to, to death. But you know, the whole sort of Driscoll blow up in recent years yeah. or the, the last year, I think, you know, reflects some of that. And I was curious, Tim, I'm sure you've talked about this to death. Just any, now that it's been a few months, that story has somewhat settled down and it's certainly praying for grace and things for Mark Driscoll and mm-hmm. his family to land. And, and obviously we, we, we don't need to revisit all that, but any takeaways that you have from following sort of his development, his ministry, where, where things are, how people reacted to it. Yeah. I think, Exactly what I just said. You know, John MacArthur was right all along. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah. a lot of the young people were totally wrong. And I don't know how many have owned that, admitted it yet. But I was wrong. You know, I thought it was okay for a man to have his theology right and his character wrong. I thought that would be okay. You know, in the end, yeah. I was convinced, well, you can't have it all. And a guy yeah. like MacArthur is saying right from the get-go, no, that's, he will eventually end up in scandal. He just has to. Because his character is not not right, he hasn't he's not qualified to the office of pastor of elder in that sense. And in the end, he was proven right. And those young of us, young restless reformed, whatever we are, we were proven wrong. And I I hope we learn from that. And I don't expect there will be another Mark Driscoll, you know, another person who's outrageous in that sense, while also preaching truth. I think we've learned that lesson, but I wish we'd learned it a little sooner. Let fewer people would have been hurt, and I think yes. we would have done well to listen to some of those men who are uh, right all along. Yeah, Tim, it, it's sort of that classic First King. I think it's what First Kings twelve moment. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I I love that passage. There's so much instruction there. How Rehoboam had an opportunity um, to learn from the wiser, older men around right. him. And he went with the, 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 basically the kids he grew up with. You, know, <laughs> you tell him, man, we're, you, you think my dad was tough? I am going to tax you so heavy. Um, right. And I, isn't that the passage where it's got the uh, perhaps the most shocking expression, my little finger is thicker than right. my father's loins? Yeah. And you know, you, you, you've got this shocking sort of bravado, this youthful exuberance, and, and look. I yeah. mean, the division of the kingdom, you, you can find much of it happening right there. Right. So. And the irony, when Solomon was the one who wrote Proverbs 1 to 10, which is telling that very son not yes. to listen to his friends. What is Proverbs 1, the second half of Proverbs 1? But don't listen to your friends. Listen to wise people. Listen to Lady Wisdom. And here's his very own son turning on him and yes. uh, not heeding his father's advice. It's amazing. Wow. Well, Tim, I know we're just about to to wrap up. I I did want to get a quick prediction from you. You know, our Orioles are coming up your way tomorrow. Uh, for I think it's a three game against Toronto. Any any predictions this early in the season? Uh, I would not predict good things for the Blue Jays at this point. So oh, I'll give goodness. the Orioles two out of three. 
Oh, wow. Wow. I, I, well, that's interesting. I'm not so sure. It's been a little up and down for us, too, down here. But uh, I, at, at the beginning of the year, I, I said I thought the Blue Jays and the Orioles would be the ones back and forth. I, I'm still not convinced that Boston has it. Uh, I, I think Tampa, while playing well right now, is going to fold. They're, yep. they're, they've gone through so much turnover. The Yankees are just old dudes. Right. Um, although, A-Rod, did you see it has the highest average right now of any Yankee? Uh, well, batting average. He had a long time to rest up for this season. He, <laughs> <laughs> he, did, yeah. he had quite a sabbatical last year. He did. Yeah. No, yeah. He's, no he's doubt. feeling good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he never you, had man. that age thirty nine season or whatever it is. No, that's guys right. tank. So. Yes. Well, Tim, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. It's it's been a pleasure. Yes. You know, um, the next time you're willing to to join us, we'd love to have you on here. Um, such a great time. So we're just sure. gonna um, go ahead and we know you have some stuff to do. We're gonna sign off. So all right, uh, Greg, Tim, thank you. We just rocked the Casbah. Our first Canadian Casbah rocking. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> all right, these go to eleven.